Open a Bible with me this morning to Exodus chapter 3. We continue looking at these opening chapters of the second book of the Bible. If you're looking for the passage, it's found on page 56 of the Bible that's provided there in front of you. Exodus is the story of God's rescue of his own people from slavery in Egypt. We're reminded in the book of God's sovereign and universal power, even in the worst of times. Confronted with this truth that God is the king above all other powers, which makes him the king and Lord in our lives. In Exodus 2, last week, we, we saw Moses, the child who had been rescued, forced to flee from Egypt into the deserts of Midian. A murderer, guilty, having to run for his life. We now find him decades later. We have God confronting him, calling him to serve his people. We're going to look at chapter 3 and part of chapter 4, but I'll begin this morning by reading Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. 
I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met, us, met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. God makes himself known to us, not today in a burning bush, but in the power of his word. So let's pray that God would change our hearts, shape us to follow him. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy revealed through the the ministry of Moses. And Lord, fully revealed in the grace and glory that, that we see in Jesus, our Savior. God, we thank you that you are the one who has come down to rescue us from our sins. Lord, give us the faith to trust in you, the confidence that you are the God of grace and mercy. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Jenna Viviano had prepared extensively for this interview because it was her dream job to work on the New York Stock Exchange. But everything goes wrong. A project at her current job keeps her up until 2 a.m. the night before her 8 a.m. interview. And actually, it wasn't just that night. It had been every night that week she'd been stuck working on this project. Jen explains, I went into the stock exchange absolutely exhausted, with my phone blowing up from all the people messaging about the problems with our current project. She feels off her game as she struggles through the interview. In answering questions, she can't even think straight. When asked a technical question that was right in her wheelhouse, like her very area of expertise, she, she stumbled and eventually had to tell her interviewer, I, I just... I really, I don't have any idea. Jenna says, it was not my proudest moment. Between the crying, the exhaustion, the inability to answer simple questions, and my heel breaking as I rushed into the building, I mean, it's really the worst case scenario for a job interview. She says, it's amazing to me that I still got the job. Her past experience and her honesty in the interview were enough to convince the interviewers that, okay, maybe she really does have what it takes even after this disastrous interview. You see, Jenna wanted the job. Moses will do anything to get out of this job. And it's a disastrous interaction with God. Everything that could go wrong really does go wrong. And yet, despite this disastrous initial interview, Moses still receives the call from God. 
Not because Moses deserves the job, but because God will get the job done and he'll use Moses to do it. Sure, decades ago, Moses had training and experience that will actually prove useful in going back into Pharaoh's court to understand the language and the customs that will be required. But, but now he's an outlaw in the desert, hiding for decades from his past sin. He's tending sheep, and he's full of excuses when God arrives. And we see Moses' excuses right from the start. But even, even in the, the miracle of this, this appearance of God in this bush that burns but is not consumed, God uses Moses' curiosity to draw him close. Because if you've been in the desert a long time, then, well, seeing anything on fire is a surprise because there's very little to catch fire. You're not worried about wildfires rushing through and destroying the whole civilizations because, well, once that bush burns up, we're done. But that one, well, that bush, it keeps burning. And so Moses wanders over out of, out of curiosity here initially, and then hears God call to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And he answers, I guess the only way you can answer when somebody calls your name, here I am. And when called by God to come closer, or not, told not to come any closer because he's standing on holy ground, and God reveals himself to Moses. Moses now hides his face, verse 5 tells us, cowering in fear that he might even accidentally look at God. And yet God, in speaking to Moses, explains what's happening. In, in verse 8, we read, God says it explicitly, I have come down to rescue my people from the hand of the Egyptians. I am here to bring about the rescue for which we have waited. A rescue that had been promised to Abraham even before the people had, had been sent into slavery. And God says, right here, I'm going to do it now. And in verse 10, we have the call of Moses. Moses, this is now your job. So now go Verse 10, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And look as Moses begins his excuses in verse 11. But Moses said to God, I mean, just that transition there sort of warns you this isn't going to go well. God speaks to Moses. God promises he is going to rescue his people and then sends Moses, okay, so you go tell Pharaoh this is what's going to happen. And, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I mean, who am I, a, a fugitive from Egypt? Yes, I, I know that the Pharaoh who put out the warrant for my arrest has since died, but, but there's no statute of limitations on this. I mean, why would Pharaoh listen to me, some shepherd from Midian? Why would the Israelites listen? And, and when God tells him, I will go with you, Moses continues his excuses. Look, look at verse 13 as the excuses continue. Moses said to God, okay, suppose I go, and they ask me, who sent you? I mean, I, he actually already has enough information to answer that question. Well, the God of my own father 
the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the one who sent me. But, but Moses is now just, just throwing up excuses. If they ask, what's your name? What should I, what should I tell them? I mean, Moses is, is using theology to get further away from God. I mean, that's a very Presbyterian kind of thing to do, to use theology in a way that, that sort of builds us up but doesn't draw us closer to God. I mean, true theology, as you study who God is, that's what the word means, just the study of God. As you study who God is in his word, it, it should draw your affections. It should, should make you closer to God. But Moses is saying, okay, can you reveal something to me that no one has ever heard before? Because if you're unwilling to do that, then, you know, I'm not going. Moses is, is continuing to throw out excuses. No one is going to believe that I should be there. Now let's continue reading. Let me continue in chapter 4 as we see Moses pile up his excuses. This is Exodus chapter 4. I'll begin right at the beginning of the chapter. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his, in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, O oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. Do you see Moses continue to multiply his excuses? He, he says, but what if they don't believe in me? I mean, people in this day and age, they, they don't believe this old-fashioned religious stuff. If I go to them with the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, no one really re remembers them. Not much has happened since then except our enslavement. And so God gives him the signs, the miracles. 
But in direct response to these miracles, look at verse 10. What does Moses do? Oh, Lord, I have never been eloquent, not in the past nor since you spoke to your servant. Now, in some sense, this sounds like the way conversations could go in the ancient world, an exaggerated humility. I mean, it's throughout the Old Testament. When Saul... The, who, who becomes Israel's first king hundreds of years from now, when, when he, who is head and shoulders above everyone else, who is from a prominent family in the tribe of Benjamin, right in the heart of the people of God, when, when the prophet goes to, to make him king, even though he's from an important family, Saul says, is not my clan the least of all the clans in the tribe of Benjamin? Sort of an exaggerated humility. Like, who am I to do this kind of job? Or, or the very next king, David, who has defeated Goliath, inspired songs that say things about him like, David has slain his tens of thousands. He is the man of the moment on the cover of Hebrew GQ as the, the man who everyone wants to be. And when, when the prophet comes to make him king, when, when he says, well, but I'm just a poor man, and only a little known. They are literally singing your name everywhere in the country. You are the the number one most famous man. You defeated Goliath for God's sake. I mean, really, for God's sake. And yet he says, but who am I? Just a poor and unknown man. Because there's a sense in, in, the, in the ancient world of, of the culture that, that to be put forward for a task, you would, you would initially sort of maybe have to politely decline so that it's clear, no, no, we really want you to be the one to do this. God is really calling you. But here's the thing. I don't think, think Moses' humili- humility is exaggerated. I think he's genuinely saying, I'm not going to do it. Well, because, well, wait, that's the next excuse, right? Even after God says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Moses comes up with another excuse. In verse 13 of chapter 4 in Exodus, Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else. He's still technically being polite. He he does throw the please in there. But this is straight up defiance in the face of the God of the universe. And how do I know? It's it's not just this exaggerated humility of, of just asking God to sort of prop him up and push him forward because, well, verse 14 tells us the Lord's anger burned against him. Send someone else. He's unwilling to obey the command of God. Yet I worry that Moses' excuses don't really sound all that different from the kinds of excuses we throw at God. Even just in the general sense of, of the place where you are is holy, and so live as people who are meant to reflect my holiness. We come up with excuses. We say, well... I mean, God's expectations, I mean, they're really out of touch with what's happening in culture. I mean, the morality that God would want us to live with today, I mean, that would, I mean, like, I'm not going to live like my grandparents or great-grandparents lived. Like, that's foolishness. That's the kind of excuse that, that Moses threw in the face of God. Or if God is calling you to give your life, your energy, your resources for the service of his kingdom, which he is, 
And maybe even specifically in the way that you would use your vocation and your time. That you'd use your retirement and your energy and your wealth for God's purposes. We, we think to ourselves, yeah, but I would have to give up so much to do what God is calling me to do. My comfortable relationships, my comfortable job, my comfortable neighborhood. Doesn't God want me to be comfortable? He couldn't be asking me to leave behind everything I've ever known for the sake of his kingdom. And perhaps this passage is particularly poignant for us on the day of a congregational meeting. When we ask, what is the mission? What are we supposed to be doing? How have we seen God at work, and and how are we to keep moving forward? I mean, our goal is to make the gospel known, to declare that truth, that God has come down to rescue his people, to send missionaries into the world with that hope, to go ourselves as missionaries into our schools, our jobs, our neighborhoods, our families. But we think, well, you know, I mean, people, they're just not interested in church today. I mean, you see the attendance numbers, and it's not just here, it's everywhere. I mean, people really don't care. There's so much, so many things that would be better to do this time of day, and and there's so much better content out there. I mean, I'm not sure our leaders are really capable, we might think. I mean, who would ever want to follow them? Or maybe we're we're more personal in the way that we we view ourselves. And like Moses, we say, but, but I've never been eloquent. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm just not good at this, at sharing the gospel, at being a spokesman or spokeswoman for God. And yet, God provides answers to Moses, answers to these foolish excuses which offer us the power and presence of God. First, God reveals himself to Moses. For 400 years, we have waited for this moment when finally fire erupts and the voice of God speaks. This is the the moment of God's holiness and power, the presence of God. He says it explicitly in verse 12, I will be with you. I have come down to rescue my people, and when you go, I will be with you. This isn't a, a job that, that, is, that should be overwhelming to you, Moses. Yes, on paper, it looks ridiculous. You, a shepherd from Midian, are going to walk into Pharaoh's court and say, hey, all those enslaved people, they're coming with me. You're going to let them go. Okay, on paper, this sounds ridiculous, except that God himself says, oh, no, no, I'm going to do it. I have come down to rescue my people, and I will be with you. And even in the face of the excuse of, but what should I say? Then God, God ups the ante and says, well, do you want to know my name? Do you want to be able, do you want to be in intimate, covenant relationship with me? Well, then I'll tell you exactly who I am. He's already been very personal. He's not only the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the ancestral patriarchs. He, he even told Moses, I am the God of your father. You belong among my people. I have been with them all along. But he willingly reveals himself to Moses. I mean, God could have just shut Moses up at any point in this conversation. Like, hey, the, land, the, the ground you're standing on is holy ground. It's going to swallow you up. This conversation's done. Let me go find another shepherd to do this. I mean, Aaron's already on his way here. 
I mean, we don't get any story about how God appeared to Aaron and sent him on his way. Like, we'll just use Aaron. Like, he's been there all along. He understands the plight of the people. He might actually care. Like, let's, no, God is gracious in continuing the conversation and, and revealing to himself his very personal name. In verse 14 of chapter 3, God said to Moses, I am who I am. The God of creation and providence, the God who has always upheld everything, the God who exists, who is now, who was, and ever will be. I am who I am. And so you want to tell them my name? Tell them I am has sent you. God makes himself known. And all through this passage, it, it, it's easy for us to hear the way that the gospel the gospel here in Exodus, the good news that God rescues his people from their slavery in Egypt, has direct application to us in God rescuing us from our slavery. It's there in the, the promise of verse 8 in chapter, chapter 3. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. What does God do for us in Jesus? He physically comes down. Not merely in the appearance of a burning bush, but in the flesh and blood of an infant born at Christmas, Jesus, the Savior, comes. And Jesus uses this promise that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When God says, I am, has sent me to you, we hear Jesus use those very words in the Gospel of John. He uses them when he reveals himself. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living bread. I am the good shepherd. We hear it in those phrases. But then in, in John 8, when the, the leaders of God's people are, are pushing against Jesus' authority, he tells them, before Abraham was born, I am. I mean, that's not a sentence that makes any grammatical sense. Unless you are God himself in the flesh. Otherwise, you would have had to say, well, well, I was. I was there. But if you always have been, and if you're intentionally, as Jesus is doing, using the very revealed name of God from Exodus 3, he just ends it, before Abraham was born, I am. And they immediately get it. They know he's speaking just like God spoke from the burning bush because the, the Gospel of John tells us they picked up stones to stone Jesus. They're going to kill him because to speak those words as your own would be blasphemy unless you really are God. See, God has made himself known to us. Jesus has come to rescue us from our sins. This is the promise of God's presence that's not just an ancient story for Moses, but a present promise for us, his people. And even in the face of, of Moses' unbelief, God gives him miraculous signs to confirm. Okay, you've got a staff in your hand, which would have been common in the ancient world for anyone, but particularly because it probably would have been carved with his, his staff and seal. It was an identifying mark, a sign of his authority, but, but he's also a shepherd. It's a tool in his hand. So wherever a shepherd goes, his staff is with him. I mean, if God maybe were speaking today to you from the burning bush, he would say, hey, that, that, that brick you have in your pocket, throw it down on the ground because it's wherever you are. It's something always within reach. And so he throws the staff down, and when it turns into a snake, Moses' reaction is the normal reaction. He runs away from it. 
Because he doesn't expect God to continue to be merciful to him, to give him a miraculous sign. And then, but he, he does willingly obey and take the staff. So that every time he does this, God will confirm. Every time you have to speak to someone and they want confirmation that I sent you, drop the staff. They're going to send them running in fear too. And then when you pick it up, they're going to know, okay, something, I've never seen anything like that before. The, the healing of disease that God is the one with true power and all authority. Or the promise that, that, well, I'll give you a third sign if it's needed. And there will be more signs to come. But the Nile itself could be turned to blood. I mean, the snake, the Nile, God is showing why I have power over Egypt. The serpent, a symbol used in the, the iconography surrounding the Pharaoh, his very headdress looking like the head of a serpent. The Nile itself, the source of life, considered to be a god, well, but the true God has power over Egypt. God provides everything that he needs. Even when Moses comes up with the excuse, but I, I don't know what to say. Okay, I just told you I was going to be with you. I'll tell you what to say, God could have said, but God is gracious in saying, well, your brother's coming. He's eloquent. He'll speak for you. It will be as if he is your mouthpiece. And then it is God's anger which reveals Moses' sin. As Moses continues to throw up excuses, we read in, in Exodus 4.14, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. But God's anger shows forth the righteousness and holiness of God and actually pushes Moses from reluctance. And we'll see, in, you can see it there in chapter 4, verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me go back to my own people in Egypt. Moses will reluctantly obey. Will we answer God's call? Will we prove faithful as a church to the call that God has given to us to make the gospel known? Will we answer God's call and obey his commands? When we see his holiness and he tells us, then live as holy people, or will we say, yeah, but that just doesn't really like, work at my lunch table? Will we obey God's call to make the gospel known, to share the hope of God's rescue? I have come down to rescue them. God himself has said. There are many examples in scripture of God calling a prophet. You can think of Jeremiah even being called as an unborn child, the call which comes from his infancy. It, it happens throughout the scriptures where we see God tell a prophet, I'm giving you this job, now go with this ministry. There are only two places in scripture where the prophet refuses to obey. Here, and you know the other one, there's a big fish involved, Jonah. Jonah commanded by God to go to Nineveh, but flees to the far side of the world. When finally dragged by God in the belly of a great fish and vomited onto shore, he reluctantly goes, preaches the worst message. I mean, it's true, but it's done without any real conviction. If you repent, God will save you. But I don't want God to save you because you're terrible Ninevites. I mean, he doesn't say the last part, but it's clear he's thinking it. Because the book ends with God's grace and God's purposes coming to pass. The people of Nineveh repent, but Jonah sits outside of the grace of God. Reluctant, unwilling 
to receive the forgiveness that God offers. Moses initially refuses, throws up excuse after excuse. But neither Moses' hesitation nor Jonah's disobedience can slow the purposes of God down. He is still going to do the work whether he drags the prophet along with him or not. Thankfully, Moses finds himself among the people of God's grace. But what about us? How will we answer the call of God? Will we receive grace like Moses or continue to refuse like Jonah? God will not be slowed down. See, he doesn't need faith church to accomplish his mission. He could shut the doors and it doesn't slow the kingdom at all. But in God's grace and goodness, he's inviting us into this mission. Will we be there with God as he accomplishes his purposes? Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of your gospel, for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you that that in your gracious persistence, you used Moses to accomplish your purposes that you are the God who has come down to rescue your people, and so we give you praise. We rejoice that, that through Jesus, our Savior, that your grace has been extended to us. Lord, we want to be used for your kingdom. And so where we, as believers in Jesus, are hesitant, reluctant to obey your word, give us by the power of your Spirit your grace that we might obey. Lord, where we are hesitant in sharing the good news of the gospel, make us bold by the power of your presence and the promise of your spirit that we can speak your truth. Lord, where we, where we hesitate to follow, Lord, drag us along until we are willing to walk with you in your kingdom purposes. Father, for those that have listened to your word but don't know Jesus as Savior, Lord, I pray that having heard your word read and proclaimed, that having heard your people sing your truth, that you would grant grace to those that are here listening to this truth, that they might find their hope, their salvation, their only way of forgiveness through Jesus, our Savior. So, Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.